This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 25th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Should Japan be responsible for its own defense? The Obama administration says not really. Chris Preble, director of foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute, says yes. He is author of the book The Power Problem. At the Cato Club 200 retreat held last month, he discussed ways the United States can rid itself of the burden of defending countries perfectly capable of defending themselves. My argument is that we should be looking for ways to devolve these security responsibilities back to the Japanese. The Obama administration is holding fast to the status quo. But again, there are these tensions between what we're doing for the Japanese and what value they place on these things uh, that I think open the possibility for a real fundamental change in the nature of this alliance. That is a more equitable alliance where no longer a patron-client relationship, but one where they are primarily responsible for their own defense. But this is crucial, because domestic factors in Japan alone will not lead to such a change. There needs to be a signal from Washington, and a very strong signal from Washington, that we want a new partnership, we will not be Japan's guardian indefinitely, and that we want to ease them into a posture of self-sufficiency and be a capable partner, if for no other reason than to reduce the burdens on our troops and our taxpayers here in the United States, who understandably think that our military is primarily intended to defend us. Um, now, many people hear this argument, they say, yes, but Japan can't possibly do this. They're much too weak, and they have this pacifist constitution, and they can't possibly do these kinds of things. Well, in fact, they are quite capable in terms of their military capability. Again, they call it self-defense forces, and plus maritime self-defense forces. They are one of the wealthiest countries in the world. There's a bit of uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth, the fact they may be now third as opposed to second, but of course they saw this coming for a very, very long time. And, you know, we have to... Uh, make note of the fact that part of the reason why they are in relative economic decline is they've adopted a number of ruinous uh, economic policies. It's kind of, uh, you know, they're just desserts. The lost decade is now two, uh, almost two decades. And yet, a country as wealthy as, as Japan uh, and spends just under 1% of GDP is able to field a modern military. Uh, they have focused understandably on quality over quantity, a relatively small country by population, but they have very effective uh, ships. In fact, uh, their navy is, is one of the most capable in the world, I think, arguably, you know, behind just a few, the United States and, and a few others. Um, to put some numbers on this, their total defense expenditures, I, I just redid the math this morning, it's about 120th of what the United States spends. But a more interesting statistic is on a per capita basis, the average Japanese spends one-eighth less than one-eighth what the average American spends to defend themselves. And it seems indisputable that part of the reason why they spend so little uh, relative to what we spend is because we have discouraged them from doing so. Um, here's the thing. That was the explicit object. Uh, and it still is. Uh, I, I stumbled upon a paper earlier this summer uh, by the Center for New American Security, which crowed the relationship had relieved Japan of the need to maintain large-scale power projection. They might have said it also relieves Japan of the need to maintain sufficient forces for their own defense. But again, this is celebrated in Washington as a good thing. And the clear subtext from the Obama administration's stance on the Futenma base, which was essentially, uh, we don't care what promises you made uh, to, the, to the Japanese public, sir. You will, curry, uh, you will toe the line or you will be gone. Uh, they stated very clearly that they had no desire 
to revisit the nature of this relationship, no desire to rebalance the responsibilities, no desire to capitalize on this nascent and I think always kind of bubbling below the surface desire on the part of many Japanese to have a greater independence and to be able to do more. Uh, and, and let's think about this not just in the narrow context of our own troops and our own taxpayers, think about it strategically, and Doug's already alluded to it. Wouldn't it be better in the distant future, maybe not the distant future, to have an independent, capable pole of power in East Asia that was another uh, uh, power capable of containing China and not just us. Um, the current relationship, as I've said, is patron-client. I use that term very uh, deliberately. It, it, it upsets Japanese uh, guests a little bit when I use that, but you know it's really indisputable. Uh, we are the patron, they are the client. And let's be clear again, if we were to adopt a more equitable relationship, it would make things a little more difficult for Washington policymakers because Japan would have more, would be more empowered and would be expected to make decisions for their own defense. And, and so couldn't be expected to just capitulate like uh, Prime Minister Hatayama did on, on a base that the US military has been planning to use for a long time. Um, but I think that this is a, uh, a risk worth taking, and frankly, I don't think it's much of a risk because Japan is a, a stable and wealthy country, and we do share many common interests with them, and the, and the likelihood of them becoming uh, truly an opponent of U.S. policies in the region or globally are very, very low. Um, but a lot of the intransigence, a lot of the resistance to a change in a policy in East Asia is really guided by fear in East Asia. Fear by the Chinese, fear by the South Koreans, and by the Koreans generally, North and South, of a, of a rising Japan. And I think they've watched too many World War II movies uh, because this kind of rampant militarism, right, that, that was in the movies, you read about in our history books, hasn't been seen in over six decades, almost seven decades now. What exactly, how much longer are we going to allow those memories to dictate our policies in East Asia? Or more, more fundamentally, do we really care more about the anxiety and, uh, and worry of the Chinese than we do about our own security and our own, uh, our own prosperity? I think that's extremely short-sighted. Not to paper over this, you know, one of the things the Japanese might do, Doug alluded to this with respect to Korea, is they might choose to develop a nuclear arsenal of their own. They could do it fairly quickly. They have already a lot of the infrastructure to do so. They just haven't made the transition to weaponization. They could do it fairly quickly. But I think there are a lot of reasons to doubt the Japanese would do that or even that they need to do that, right? Because they have conventional capabilities that already provide a pretty important deterrent. The important point here is that the United States should not presume to dictate to the Japanese how to defend themselves. Um, our proper position is one of ambivalence. Uh, uh, this is their, primarily their responsibility. A lot of times you'll hear people refer to the U.S.-Japan relationship as being comparable or to be made comparable to the U.S.-U.K. relationship. Well, uh, you know, Last time I checked, Washington isn't telling uh, the Brits how much to spend on their military or what to spend or how to distribute uh, their assets, and I think the same principle applies here. In the same context, even though it's true, sorry, we wrote Article 9, in effect, we shouldn't object to if they want to refine Article 9 on the grounds that, again, this was written for a different time and a different era long, long ago. Um, let me sum up then. I think we should welcome a transition 
from this patron-client relationship, both with respect to Japan, but also with respect to Korea and other uh, countries in East Asia. There are mutual interests, shared interests, and we should capitalize on those. As a general proposition, the presence of US troops in stable democratic countries that are capable, but choose not to, capable of playing a larger regional role in defending themselves, uh, is, is short-sighted. The United States spends more on its military than any other country in the world, and we have to make some difficult choices from time to time about where to send these troops. But I think the decision on whether to leave troops in Japan isn't a difficult choice at all. It's an easy one. Taxpayers have obligingly, American taxpayers, have obligingly assumed the considerable costs and risks of defending Japanese interests several generations, for several generations, but the United States should not subsidize their defense indefinitely. And if 70 years isn't indefinite, I don't know what is. Um, even before 9-11, our military was straining under the burdens of repeated deployments. The troop levels had come down, and of course the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have uh, exacerbated those pressures. So if both Tokyo and Washington appreciate, recognize that the new strategic environment should rely on greater contributions from Japan for its own defense, I think we could see, ultimately, the creation or the emergence of a new security architecture that has capable allies, willing allies, and not just the United States defending them indefinitely. Chris Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of The Power Problem. You can get your copy at Cato.org.